So obviously want to get into the uh, new album and talk touring and pandemic and get your thoughts on a couple of things. But uh, I wanted to first uh, get in the DeLorean and go back in time. Not too far back, but uh, back to when there were there were actual concerts. The first time I saw you and and fell in love with you as a uh, as a live artist as well as on record. But on that uh, Breaking Benjamin Chevelle Three Days Grace tour that came through Five Point yes. Amphitheater, which uh, which was a I know a big day for you. Your family was there. Your dog was there. <laughs> And also, I remember Howard Benson being there, and I remember thinking at that time, like, hmm, is this the planting of the seeds of album number two? And now it kind of feels like it was, so I was hoping you could kind of take me back to that that day. I mean, at that point in time, at that show, were you already starting to work on American Dreams? Had you already decided you were going to work with Howard again, or did you decide that day? Or But kind of take me back in time. You know, it's really funny because I think that show in Irvine was totally the first stage of beginning the process of asking Howard to do album number two. I invited him to the show, and that was actually the first time he'd ever seen me live. So that was like a completely new experience for him. And Neil was on the tour, obviously being part of Three Days Grace. And he kind of connected the dots between Howard and I. And he was sort of the one who said, it'd be really cool if me, Howard and you all teamed up together to make your new album. And so, yeah, I guess that was the starting point for all that. And I did have a couple songs written already. I remember that I actually played obvious for Neil when we were out on the tour. And that's kind of what started the whole thing of, man, this is awesome. I want to help you do this. Let's let's talk to Howard and let's go. Wow. So you had really connected with Neil on that tour. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because, you know, after every show, all the bands, we'd kind of hang out in the parking lot with the tour buses. They had this thing called a bump box, which was basically just a really cool speaker. And we'd grill out and we'd make hot dogs and we'd play music and just talk. And that's when um, we really started talking about our connection, which was Howard, because Howard has worked with Three Days Grace in the past extensively. So yeah, it was just kind of all came about organically just from hanging out and talk about some songwriters between neil and howard yeah. man but yeah but uh, so how how quickly after that tour wrapped were you uh, working on out music with them pretty quickly i think i probably went into the studio for the first time around september maybe more like october because the tour ended in september but it's pretty soon after and then we released the first single obvious in january of 2020 and then the world came tumbling down yeah and the world came tumbling down <laughs> was the plan at that point to put it you i'm sure you had visions of putting it out in 2020 at you know early 2020 after releasing the obvious walk me through the timeline and the pandemic and how that kind of affected the the album schedule for you yeah at first the plan was to release the entire album in 2020 and i didn't have the entire album written at the time what i was doing was i was just releasing songs as they were being created in a chronological order because i was telling an autobiographical story and so i didn't feel like i needed all songs to be ready and completed for me to start releasing i kind of just started going along the way and at, at the time the idea was to release an entire album in 2020 and then covid happened and really pushed a lot of things back and then the idea was to release in the fall of 2020 but ultimately 
you know, decided that 2021 was just a better move. Well, I love it. I love the the entire album, American Dream, and, and wanted to get a little uh, behind the, the music on each of it. But you said something interesting there that it's kind of autobiographical. Is this is this kind of a concept album or, or are you telling your whole biography in this album? In a way, yeah. Every song is based off personal experience, something that actually did happen to me, a feeling that I went through or something difficult that I went through. And so you hear these stages of the album where it starts out in a heartbroken place. And then I kind of come into my own after hitting rock bottom and I rediscover how much I'm actually worth and how much I matter. And then I meet someone new and I, and I fall in love. And so the, the album ends on a high note but it's totally based off personal experience. And I think when you listen to the album from start to finish, you hear this story of, oh, this is what happened to her within the last two, three years. Wow, it sounds like it could be a a freaking movie. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it totally could. I love it. I wanted to get your take on on a couple of the the, uh, tracks on the album. And let's start with the, uh, the title track, American Dream. Yes, that's like one of my favorites off the album. It's a... the very last song that I wrote for the album, which is really cool, back in September during quarantine. And I think what happened was I felt like I just need one more song on this album. So my thinking at the time was just do whatever you feel like doing. And if you haven't experimented with something on this album, try it on this song. And so that's why I think American Dream is just so versatile. It's got like a little bit of country in it. You can almost hear it's got like this hard rock chorus, but then the the verses have this sort of more broken down pop vibe and all around it's just so so versatile and so that's why I love it and the lyrics are very cinematic. I'm talking about like, you know, a guy with roses on his neck and the lines across his face and the wild, wild west (laughs) and it's all very visceral and you can just see this movie playing out when you're listening to the song. And then Howard was absolutely genius with adding all these like car effects to the song, old classic cars. And so I think, um, yeah, that's why it's definitely one of my favorites on the album. Yeah, I mean, the James Dean and, and the car thing. And I was going to ask you, was that like, <laughs> was that car sound effects 101 or was that somebody's actual car that you took a mic to? No, no, it was just like a, a sample effect that Howard pulled up a little bit like in the final hour of making that song. And it just completely brought that song to life in a whole new different way. Yeah, it was really cool, cool way to start the album and then have it in the middle of the tune as well. And a uh, great, great opening track to the album and get the party started. But the the first yeah. tune, the other tune, Obvious, which is obviously a, a great tune, but talk about that one. That was the first one you had done? Yeah, so I wrote Obvious. Well, it's not the first I wrote for the album, but it's the first that we ended up actually producing and recording. And I wrote it back in May of 2019. I played it for Neil over that summer tour and he only heard the demo, which was just me and an acoustic guitar and he loved it. And his idea was to kind of turn it into this hard rock version. And Uh so he put his total like Neil Sanderson twist on it. And when you listen to it, especially like that intro riff, you sort of get those three days of grace vibes, which I love. I think it set a tone, especially because it's a little heavier than my prior stuff. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, he he was like absolutely genius in the way that he totally turned it into this complete other thing. And then we ended up deciding that we should also do an acoustic version of the song to kind of pay homage to the way that the song first originated in its demo form. You know, it's funny you'd mentioned about how he kind of kneelized it and it made me kind of wonder, <laughs> do you have a favorite uh, Three Days Grace tune? 
Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's not very original, but um, I would have to say that my favorite is Animal I Have Become just because ah. I, I got to see that song live for like 50 shows straight in a row. And every time <laughs> that's the one where the crowd's just going nuts. So. Love it. And and speaking of love, I think my favorite tune on the album, I Love Myself for Hating You. Yeah, that's a fun one. That's um, someone else told me like it's kind of got a, well, it's obviously got a Joan Jett vibe because the 100%. title is kind of paying homage to her. And I, everyone who knows me knows I love Joan Jett. She's one of my biggest idols. I look up to her immensely. And so that's the play on the words on the song title. But then the song itself kind of has this, early 2000s pop rock vibe which i grew up on even more so than hard rock so i definitely wanted a song on the album that reflected that because i was all about avril lavigne and pink and kelly clarkson and uh like ashley simpson and i grew up singing all that so i wanted a song that that reflected that and yeah i think it's it's really snarky and fun and i only got to play it live so far once but it was so fun, and I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, I think that's something that's been missing for a long time uh, from music is, is just that straight-up pop rock song, and that's one of the things that I love about you is bringing back, like you said, that Joan Jett, that Pat Benatar vibe. Like, you can be a rocker chick and still have, write a pop song. Like, you can do both. There is room to do both in this world. Yeah, and when you listen to that early 2000s, even though it's definitely more pop, they still had guitars all over the song, yeah. which I love not impossible to do both things and and i love that you're bringing that back and, and speaking of the uh live shows i imagine that that uh that breaking benjamin three days grace chevelle tour i imagine that was probably your last tour before everything did shut down or did you have another one after that that was my last like big show that i did i did do a headline run called the blue balls tour oh that's that right. was over the winter and yeah i think my last show was a club show maybe in atlanta i don't remember exactly but i remember having this weird feeling after i played that show like i don't know i got this weird vibe like it's that was the last show and i was really sad about it and i had no idea really that that was gonna be the last show for a year and a half but i miss playing those shows especially the club ones because you're just so intimate and you get to really meet the fans after and talk to everyone. And it's just so fulfilling and awesome. That's what was great about you at the Irvine show was like, you're just like, Hey, I'll be hanging out over after the show side of the stage, come by, say hi, like so friendly and, and, you know, welcoming for fans to come up and meet you where some people, you know, run and you never see them and they got a car and they're out the door before the lights even come up. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. I try to be as accessible as I can. Even when other bands are playing throughout the, the night, I love going into the crowd and watching the show from their point of view and talking to everyone. And like I said, that to me is what makes all of this so much more fulfilling and gratifying when I get to hear how maybe a, one of my songs has impacted them in a powerful way or helped them in any way. So yeah, I love doing it and I miss it so, so much. So I uh, wanted to get your take. I'm sure you saw this story um, and wanted to get your thoughts kind of overall on live streams. And then live streams have kind of, I always thought they were going to just be this kind of thing to tide us over until we did get back to touring. But now did you see that story about Live Nation and Veeps and them equipping all these venues now with the live stream technology? So in the future, a band could go on tour and go into the Wiltern and say, hey, you know what? I want to live stream this show. And they flip a switch and it's live streamed. No, I didn't, but that makes total sense because, like, we have the technology already figured out to do it, and we've 
seen from this past year that it does work. I also have seen that like VR is now doing 360 shows and virtual shows where the fan feels like they're right there and all these really cool ideas. Yeah, I mean, think about it. If a show is sold out, you throw in the live stream could be a way to still sell tickets for those that can't actually get into the venue or maybe those those that are still ready to go out, even if they have been vaccinated and they still aren't quite feeling comfortable enough to go to a show, another opportunity for them to still see a show. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the perfect solution. Obviously, I love playing the real thing a hundred thousand times more than the live stream, but it's it's the perfect solution for people who, A, don't feel safe yet to go to a real show or B, just don't happen to be in that area. Are you going to do a live stream for your album release or anything? Any thoughts, any plans for that? Or are you going to wait for the real thing? I, I'm not sure yet. I did do two live stream concerts this past year, which were really cool. And I had like a real-time live chat feature, so I was able to talk to the fans during the show. I'm kind of just waiting to see what happens. I do have a festival booked in September, the Incarceration Festival. I'm really hoping that goes through because the lineup is insane and I can't wait to play festivals again. So, yeah, just kind of waiting to see what happens next. Yeah, that incarceration is massive, and I hear it's at like an old prison and stuff. Like, there's like so, what? Yeah, yeah, that's I why didn't it's know called that. that. That's it's like the incarceration because it's the uh, grounds is a, a old mental institute or, or prison or something crazy like that. Oh man, that's insane! I, I had no idea. <laughs> You're gonna have a lot of fun at that show, and I think they have even <laughs> have a little haunted house in there. I love stuff like that. Uh, speaking of of uh, shows and stuff, are you, did you are you still retaining your same band that you had at Five Point? Pretty much. I mean, the thing is, is like they're kind of free agents. So if they have a tour or any other shows that they want to do, like they kind of do that. And so that's why I have sometimes multiple people filling in like the drum position or or the guitar position. But uh, for the most part, yeah, L- a little bit of a rotating cast. But you you got a, a Rolodex. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> awesome. You know, it, speaking of that uh, that Irvine show, I remember you guys played Hear Me Now and, and that Tommy got stuck in traffic as he was on his way and going to jump up and do the song with you. Uh, yeah. Crazy to uh, see what's kind of happened with that band and, and, and how that whole situation evolved and what's going to be next for both Tommy as a solo artist and the band, because I'm pretty sure the band is moving on with their new singer. Yeah, I, I don't know who... They've picked as lead singer, but, you know, I've talked to the guys and they're definitely moving forward. So I wish them nothing but the best. So they do have a new singer already or you're not sure? No, I'm not sure. You know, it's funny. I was uh, thinking back to your time in uh, not your time, but another guest spot that you did on on top of the uh, Bad Wolves. But you also guested on All That Remains in the Thunder Rolls cover. And curious if Howard grabbed you for any other guest spots coming out, you know, that you've recorded that may be coming out in this uh, new year. I definitely have a couple ideas. I definitely have some ideas for uh, different features and collabs, kind of leaning towards artists who maybe aren't in rock necessarily. I kind of want to branch out to different genres and find an artist who maybe sings pop or even country and just kind of throw all my ideas at the wall and see what happens. Kind of mix up the genres and do stuff. That's cool. Like out of left field kind of. Yeah, especially because I think that the album has so many different genres in itself. It's not like a completely just only rock album. Like there's definitely pop sensibility in there and maybe like a little bit of alternative. And then you hear songs like American Dream and Hopeless and you're, you're thinking, oh, there's a little bit of country in that too. So I just want to see all the different opportunities and possibilities. 
Speaking of collabs and covers and Iris, a Goo Goo Dolls cover on the album. Who's a dude singing that with you? That is Benjamin Burnley from Breaking Ben, and he is incredible. And that was such a cool experience to get to work with him because um, I honestly wasn't too sure if he was even going to go for it. <laughs> I just DM'd him on Instagram and I said, hey, Ben, I have this idea to cover Iris. I've always wanted to do this song, and I'd be so honored if you would sing on this song with me. And he was all about it. And um, I ended up flying to Reno to one of the shows that Breaking Ben was playing, and we ended up recording the vocals on his tour bus right then and there. So, wow. such a cool experience. That's so cool that he was down for it. Hey, if you come out here and grab me, well, <laughs> you got this window to make it happen. I'm here for you. Yeah. Yeah, and this was maybe two weeks or so before everything shut down. So the timing couldn't have been more perfect. Now you just need to grab him for the video. Well, we did film video while we were recording in the tour bus. Thank God. Oh, good. (laughs) We got something. And watching him, you know, sitting there watching him record vocals. Did you uh, learn anything from the man? Yeah, he has a really cool way of recording vocals where he likes to take two phrases at a time and sort of loop the track and just do the two phrases over and over and over and over until he really nails it. And I think that's a cool approach. I don't record vocals that way. I kind of take the song section by section or sometimes, you know, if I'm really feeling it, I'll do like two sections at once. But he really likes to kind of take it on a microscopic level and really try and get the best take possible just by looping two phrases at once. Wow, he's like breaking it down per syllable. Almost, yeah. And he <laughs> was um and we were just, you know, going back and forth like you take this part or maybe I'll try this part. Maybe you do the octave or I'll do the harmony. And it was a lot of just, you know, experimenting in the moment. And I really credit him to that idea because originally I had already recorded my part of the song and I was just gonna have him record his and then send it over. But he was the one who said There's an entirely new kind of magic when two vocalists just record right there in the moment together. That's so rad that he, he, yeah, and he brought in his eyes and put different, different set of eyes that gave you a different vision for the tune. That's so cool to hear from him. Yeah, and he's always been so awesome, and I've toured with him now for like two years and always so courteous and so respectful and just all around really awesome dude. It's great to hear because I feel like he's one of those guys that you don't hear much about. He doesn't do that many interviews. He's kind of uh, a little bit, uh, you know, not in the mainstream and around all the time. So it's cool to hear these little stories about the, the, the man himself. Yeah. And we bonded over video games. Like he loves <laughs> Skyrim and I do too. And yeah. That is the one thing I have heard about him is video games. Do you have a, do you have a favorite uh, Breaking Benjamin tune? I do. It's a breath. That's another one just because every time... I got to see that song live. There's one moment in the song where the band completely cuts out and the thousands of people in the crowd all at the same time sing this one part of the song and the lights come up and you see everyone and it's just, it gives me goosebumps every time. So breath, for sure. Favorite song. Love it. Love love you for all the time. One last question for you. One little thing I need your help with and kind of wrapping up here. It's going to be a little bit out of your wheelhouse, but I, I think you'll still have some thoughts. But we're one of those old school radio stations that still does mandatory Metallica. And though I'm sure you're not a massive Metallica fan, I'm sure you still have some thoughts on the band and are at least a tune or two that has grabbed you over the years. But how did you discover Metallica? Let's at least start with that. Where did you discover Metallica? 
I probably discovered Metallica when I was 13. I did this really cool program called the School of Rock. Oh, yeah. And uh, we had to kind of cover a bunch of songs by all these rock bands. And that's how I discovered Blondie and Led Zeppelin. And I don't know, just so many bands, but definitely probably discovered Metallica around the same time. Are you a fan? What do you, what do you like about them? If nothing else, the brand that they've built over the past 40 years and, and the touring enigma that they are? You know, you ask anyone, even if you don't listen to rock or if you don't even listen to music, you know who Metallica is. They're just such a huge name and they've cultivated that over the years and the brand is just insane. Yeah, and they can go play they can go play soccer stadiums anywhere in the world at any time and so yeah. on. <laughs> Do you have a favorite uh, Metallica tune? Does any Metallica tune come to mind? Again, they're not very original, but it's just because they're the first ones I heard. I really like Nothing Else Matters and of course Enter Sandman. I remember like being in my car on the way to school, high school, and Enter Sandman would come on every single morning. <laughs> it was like the, the ode to my high school experience. God, hopefully a, a show creeps up here, even something locally. I'd love to see you once, uh, once the I shows know. do start happening. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me again. Dude, you absolutely rock. Thank you so much for checking out the entire interview. Now just hit subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast, Radioactive Mike Z. My interviews in their entirety, available on all the major platforms. Tune in, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever you're listening to right now. Just hit the subscribe button. Make sure to give me a follow on the socials as well. I'll follow you back at MikeZ967. And bro, don't miss the radio show. Now 10 p.m to midnight on 96.7 KCAL Rocks in the Southern California Inland Empire area, Riverside, San Bernardino County. Always streaming online at kcalfm.com. You, my friend, absolutely rock.